0: In 2018, a couple was sentenced to life for brutally murdering their old pair over an obsession with an ex-boyzone pop star. A woman whose experience as a living nanny should have been fulfilling turned into a nightmare. One she would not make it out of alive. This is the story of the murder of Sophie Lionnet. For the mic track of this video, I wanted to share something, because it still baffles me, and because it's affecting the way I freaking speak. So, I wanted to explain this. So, I'm pre-recording a bunch of videos, right? Like, I'm recording this end of July, and then I will be releasing them, like, August, September onwards. I'll explain eventually why I'm doing that. Um, but something that I noticed as I was editing the Calibull Winkle story, and, like, just, yeah, the, um, the last videos that I have been making, like, when i mean the you know, editing, like, post-production process, I noticed that I am speaking a lot slower than usual. And I just wanted to say, like, yeah, put your, you know, speed down to, like, 1.5 with probably in the videos for the rest of this year, to be fair. But the reason behind it is I've had some stomach issues, right? Some like health issues for about a year now. Probably by the time this video is released it will be over a year. And finally, because of how NHS works here, um, I managed to see a gastro. Like I was referred, waited forever to like have the phone call appointment with, (laughs) with this man, who was like, hey, so there's a couple of options for what you're having based on your test results. One is like, keep a food." Whoever like, done that made you know. I know what triggers it. It's cool. Then it was another diet like low food map, like the one where you eat just bland stuff. I'm like, okay, no. Like I've been on this journey. I've been so fed up for just like the quality of my life decreasing for about a year. No, like give me the third option which is meds so he put me on the medication and the medication this put this man put me on is what baffles me right it baffles me because it's an antidepressant and it's the gastroenterologist that put me on I'm like how is this allowed <laughs> I guess I just don't know much about the healthcare system. I was like, okay, cool. So that's what's been slowing down. It's making me have great sleep. I'm not gonna lie. It makes me sleep through the night and like struggle to wake the fuck up because I don't really take meds. I would take like painkillers if I'm dying in pain. So, like, I am very reluctant towards taking medication, which means, like, whatever I take is going to have, like, ten times more of an effect than, like, on any normal person. The idea behind it is to, like, slow down my system, because apparently I'm too fucking fast for life. So, like, my body, like, especially, like, my stomach and, like, colon area and all of that, like, where, you know, digestion happens, right, is, like, overactive. So, like, it sends signals to my brain as I eat, being like, oh, there's rush, we need to, like, deal with this food, meaning, like, need to take a dumb girl. And, um, yeah, we need to slow that down, so that my brain chills the fuck down, which means it's been chilling the fuck down, just in all of the wrong ways, because I feel like I speak so slow, like, I process information a lot slower. I'm just not I wasn't made to take meds. I was just not made to take medication. So, if you notice that I speak slower, it is because of that. And uh, just put that speed up towards a certain degree because, you know, put it on 1.5 and deal with it, I guess. And I will see, does this actually like slow my body down? I don't like it. I don't like being slowed down. <laughs> I don't like it, but I just wanna like... <sighs> Be normal. I just want my quality of life to improve, so I'm not like bedridden and like room-ridden, okay? Not room-ridden, that is not a word. That is not the word. It will never be a word. You cannot make it one. Let's dive into the bloody video. Detective Unit, let me start off this video with the trigger warnings. This video is going to contain themes of starvation, descriptions of torture, and body disposal that some people might be sensitive to. If you want to sit this one out, I will completely understand. There's plenty of other videos on this channel. This story is truly harrowing. I have heard it on probably, like, a podcast or, like, I don't know, like, another YouTube channel years ago. Like, when it was happening. So, like, 2018-19, like, it's probably when people started reporting on this story. And because of the sensationalized nature of the case, I always wanted to look into it because I wanted to look into the court documents, into the you know, like, articles from the BBC, The Guardian, to separate the information, the facts from fiction, if you wish, like, to separate the information that the tabloids were posting at the time from the actual factual information. Because I have been hating on this couple ever since. I still think they're monsters after having done this research. It's more of trying to also portray this story in a way where the events of it are already outlandish. This is already a senseless murder, and we should not be dramatizing it any further for any particular reason. Like, sometimes, you know, even I got surprised looking at, like, oh, information from the tablets. I was like, yeah, this can't be true. And then, like, the court documents mention it. I just would be frazzled. Like, I could not explain it to myself. I'm like, oh, no, this is actually not even something that people have invented. It isn't just, like, added to the story to make it even more dramatic and more outrageous. Like, this actually happened. So, I will try to tell you the information that I couldn't confirm through the court records and through official sources, and then, obviously, like, the factual information that I will be putting up on the screen. There is something about a case when you feel like it could have been you. So, my very first job in the UK while studying, actually during the summer I found this job, was one of a live-in nanny. And I was of Sophie's exact age, which is what, like, makes me have goosebumps. And it made me just, like, shiver throughout this whole case. It was during the summer, and I was also a live-in nanny to this family. And even though this household wasn't amazing, like, by any stretch of imagination. Like, the kids were dealing with their parents divorcing, they were just living with their mom, but still really, like, hung up on their dad, obviously. I can only think of how I would have dealt with anything even remotely similar to the story we are talking about today happening. There is nothing this girl could have done to survive by the end of this story, and I think that is why so many people are so gripped. To start this story with au pairing, the term actually means equal to, and it shows that the relationship is intended to be the one of equals, that the au pair is, like, an extended member of the family, rather than just, like, a domestic worker, rather than somebody that, you know, just comes and cleans your house, and you have a very transactional relationship. There is something to be said about the living in aspect that is also so scary for multiple reasons because it gets the employer to, like, it lets them get away with paying you less money because you don't pay for rent, you live at their place, and also have control over your possessions because you live at their property so they can access whatever room they're letting you stay in, right? possessions like your passport and your phone. And another thing that is very tricky is the extent of your duties. Because usually, there's not even a contract. Like, I don't remember ever signing a contract. Like, this was just a mom who had her own job, like, when I worked as the au pair, right? And had those two kids. Like, I don't remember ever signing anything official. Which means, like, The extent of my duties could have, at the beginning, been just looking after the kids. But then, later, they can be like, well, why don't you clean the house? Why don't you now do the chores? Why don't you cook for the family? And then you do that for the exact same pay that you have been hired for. Like, the lines are very blurred because, in so many cases, it isn't contractually bound position. And the story... Of the day would take place in Wimbledon, in a house in a Southfields area throughout 2016 and 2017. Wimbledon, kind of like to give you the insight as somebody who has lived in London for a while, is southwest of the city. It has about, like, 17,000 residents, just the Southfields area of the town. And the way Wimbledon is split is into the village and the town. So, kind of, you get the best of both worlds. With High Street, part of the town, built to resemble the medieval times. Mertonborough, where Wimbledon is in Southfields, is on the posh side, right? Known for the tennis tournament and also grade schools for kids of the parents who can afford to bring up their children there. This would be an attractive area for somebody coming to the UK, even temporarily, but especially for somebody like Sophie. So let's talk about her. Sophie was born on January the 7th, 1996, to her mom Catherine and dad Patrick, in the town of Troy, in northeast France. When she would be four years old, her parents would divorce, but it was said that, like, even though her mom remarried, Sophie still had a very close bond with her dad. She still had, like, that typical relationship, where her dad would say that, like, oh, yeah, when she was with me, she had a lot more freedom. (laughs) Like, when I got her on the weekends, it was all fair game. Like, whatever she would say, like, I would do for her. He said, Sophie and I have always been close. He said she liked coming over. We would watch films and play video games together. She was friends with some of the kids in the area. Sophie was known for her long, dark curls. I am so, so jealous of this girl's hair. So incredibly jealous. Forever wanted curls and all I get is this bullshit. She had greenish-gray eyes and a kind, warm smile. She was quiet and gentle. She loved animals and her dream was always to work with children. Now, everybody from her aunt to her family members said that growing up, Sophie enjoyed playing the guitar, like reading, ice skating, enjoyed like doing all of these sports. A lot of them kind of more on the introvert side. And every single person said that this was the girl who hated suffering and hated injustice. That she was passionate about stopping animal cruelty. That she was very selfless and very naive at times, but never into material things in life. Rather, like, when you think about her, she was always somebody passionate about helping others, hence the career in going into childcare. Her aunt would say she was a pearl. Kind, gentle, she loved everyone, she loved making people happy. So, logically, on finishing school, she completed a vocational course in childcare. But, because she lived in this small town, where the whole town, I think, had a population of, like, 60,000 people or so, there were not many opportunities for work. And she also wanted to improve her English. So, she thought, okay, what's the win-win situation here? In 2015, she will be introduced to the mother of the boys in London, that will be living in the Wimbledon area. So, the mother of the boys, Sabrina, was introduced to Sophie through a friend of Sabrina's brother. Now, as you will find out, the parents here have the background in France. And the mom of the boys would also, like, have siblings that still live in the area. So, somehow, they knew Sophie's family, and Sophie got introduced. And in 2015, she would actually go to London for, I think I've read, two weeks to have, like, a trial, like, a test run, to see, like, if the kids like her, if this is something that she wants to commit to, if she wants to live into that, like, live in that house, live in that area. And she liked it. Sabrina and the um, her partner loved it. The kids loved her. So, they decide, okay, in 2016, she will, uh, right after her 20th birthday, move in with them and move to London. That brings us to January 2016. Sophie just turned 20, and a few days after her birthday, she moved to London. The flat that she was going to come into was a two-bedroom garden flat. Sophie, however, would sleep in the same bedroom as the two boys. So sort of I think it was said, like, it was a bunk bed arrangement, and she just had her own bed in this small room she would be paid for being an au pair. This is where the different accounts say different amounts. From what I have read, some sources say, like, 50 quid, some say 60 to 70. The amount is abysmal, okay? Just to give you the context, like, the budget that I give myself weekly, and this still probably, like, a lot of people give themselves a much higher budget, is 100 to 150. And this is not including like booking holidays, not including like booking tickets for, I don't know, to see a play, to see anything. It's literally just like possibly, yes, going out or like socializing, groceries, transport, like public transport, that kind of thing. Like for 50, 60 quid, because we are not talking that far in the past, in 2016, you can barely do anything. You can barely like pay to go and see anything, possibly, like, yes. Buy food like outside of the house it 's abysmal like even though like yes technically she 's living on their property and she isn 't paying for rent like You have to think international cause, right? If she wants to have cause with her family in France, like reaching out to friends and family, exploring London, like actually enjoying this experience to any extent, she wouldn't be able to do that on this amount. The court document also addresses the issue of her being a living nanny and this family having complete control over her possessions. Because here we will find out that Sophie's passport was held by somebody. Like, it was never found. Possibly it was later burnt or disposed of somehow, and we don't know at what point they confiscated this document, but it's just another layer of control, as you will find out as we go along in this story. And of course, just like with most of the abusers, Sophie didn't just appear at their doorstep, where they had then, like, taken her passport and confiscated it, because that would have been very much so alarming. It doesn't just start off that way. Like, rather, you don't see the red flags until it is too, too late. So, when Sophie moved in in January 2016, it looked like a great opportunity. She didn't care about the money, and compared to her city, this was a completely different world. With her moving into this household, which we will learn was French, she would already have that to make her feel comfortable. Because there's already, like, another layer of, like, okay, The family speaks French. I can speak French with the boys and then, like, practice English on the side. And in my free time, you know, I can do, see the sights, improve my English by meeting people. And working with children would have also gained her the experience for the future career. Because then she might later think, like, okay, uh, my English has improved. I want to stay in London in a different household. I might get reference from this couple. Or I might go back to France and, like, have this experience for my next job. So, for the first few months, Sophie was seen around the shops, and she was said to have looked content. There were other nannies in the neighborhood, because again, like, this is quite a good area to settle, if you have kids, like, in terms of, like, good public and private schools to send those kids to. So, like, obviously, wealthy parents would have other nannies as well. Nannies would say the nanny, referring to Sophie, would be in and out, to the parks and to the shops with the children, so they used to see her very often. There would be other people in the neighborhood, like this fish and chip owner, who said that Sophie was always very quiet, that she didn't want to communicate much. This chippy guy uh, would be among the others to eventually notice that Sophie was struggling, but he said he never imagined what was happening at the couple's home. It seemed like her body language would be telling him something was off, but she would be very reserved about speaking on the subject.
1: A couple of times uh, she looked very sad. There was tears in her eyes. So then I started to talk to her, but still very hard to get anything out from her. She was very laid back, doesn't want to say anything apart from yes, no mostly.
0: Despite a low salary of just about 50 quid a week, Sophie told her family that she was happy with the job. But then the phone calls turned to Facebook messages, as Sophie was unable to top up her French pay-as-you-go mobile, because of the low pay and because the payments will eventually completely stop. Something happened between the summer of 2016 and September of 2017. 21 months after leaving her home, Sophie would be dead. On September the 20th, 2017, neighbors of the family where Sophie was an au pair noticed a smoke engulfing their garden. The people that lived at this house thought that they were super smart for not lighting up the fire in the front yard, so they chose to do this in their garden, which again, like, if you look at this house from like the bird's eye view, right? So glad I could find this picture. Because they have like neighbors literally next to them. On each side, like these houses are genuinely like wall to wall. They will notice if there is a smoke just threatening to engulf their own backyard. Like, yeah, they will call the firefighters, because they don't want their whole house to be burned down. They called the firefighters actually for two reasons. One was that, yes, they were fearful that, like, the fire is going to spread, and it's going to burn their own property down. And the second reason was the smell coming into the garden that was foul. So, they picked up the phone, and soon the firefighters appeared on the scene. The firefighters come to the scene, and the couple here is just making barbecue. They're cooking chicken, but there's, like, a separate bonfire next to the grill. They appear to be, like, completely relaxed and just unconcerned about, like, the clearly still burning fire, still, like, the flames are raging. Like, the firefighters have just appeared. They're just, like, completely oblivious to anything. So Thomas Hunt, one of the firefighters, looks beyond the actual grill, beyond, like, the chicken that they were cooking. Looks at the fire on the side. And what he sees, like, sends shivers down my spine. Like, I can only imagine how this affected this man's life. He sees what looks like a nose and fingers in the remnants of this fire, as well as like some clothes and jewelry. So, he turns to the man of the household and asks him, what are you burning? To which the man of the household, the partner of Sabrina's, says, oh, it's just some sheep from the market. This is like a totally normal thing, you just have a sheep, you just bore a sheep, and it's like a carcass of a sheep in Wimbledon. Like, this would be the moment when I would just immediately put the handcuffs on this man, just for the safety of myself. Like, genuinely, be like, okay, this is a crazy person. Like, what do you mean it's just a sheep? And also, why are you not, like, if it's like lamb or anything like that, why are you not grilling it on the actual grill? This is like, just for the sake of me surviving, I would, like, immediately arrest this person. But he's a firefighter, so he can't do that. So, he... Just just blatantly, like, called this man out. And he said, like, this man was just so, so calm. It just looked like he was already resigned to whatever is to happen. That he gave him kind of, like, the shrug of, like, well, I might have been caught, like, so I'm just not gonna say anything else. Another fireman, Joseph Wood, would say that as soon as they saw what they believed to be a nose of somebody's body, they called the police and they told them, like, there is something really wrong happening at this house. The police would arrive to the scene, and they would immediately arrest the man of the household and take him to the police station. And as they're assessing the situation, this is so heartbreaking, but they actually thought that the body that was being burned is the one of the child, purely because of its size, because it was so small. When they, again, started questioning, the partner of Sabrina's, the man that lived at that house, he just said, it's not a child. He was interviewed, but he said nothing at all for, like, any questions that they had for him. The remains would be too charred for the police to work out the gender or the age of the person that was burned. A post-mortem had to be carried out, and after two weeks, on October the 3rd, DNA tests came back, confirming this was the body of Sophie Lionnet. Even before this confirmation, though, the police could account for the actual two children, two boys, that lived at this house. So they knew that these two monsters didn't burn one of their own kids. So by system of elimination, they knew there was only one person they couldn't account for at this house. And they also found her glasses broken, and then her suitcase hidden in the shed by the people that used to employ her. So, in France, Sophie's dad told the news later how he received a knock at the door in the early hours of the morning, sometime in September, right after Sophie's body was discovered. And he was told that his daughter was dead. He said, it was four o'clock in the morning when the police knocked on my door. They would not give me any details about what had happened to Sophie, only that she was a victim of a violent murder. They told me to contact the French ambassador in London. I couldn't believe it. I was in shock. I went to the boulangerie, like I always do, to collect the bread, and then I went to work. I told a couple of colleagues that my daughter had been murdered. They couldn't understand why I was at work. I was in shock." His first thought was that this was a terrorist attack. And, like, he prayed that maybe, maybe, even though, like, this would bring sorrow to somebody else, that the identity of the person was not right, that it wasn't his Sophie. But then, that night, he saw her face on the news, because the news made it to France as well. And he said she was being treated like a piece of meat. For us to understand how this happened, or at least try, because, as I told you, this was so senseless, It should not have happened on so many levels. We have to talk about the two people in whose hands she is going to die at this house. Sabrina Caudier, who was born in 1983, and Wissam, everybody refers to him as Sam, and it's just easier to say, so I will say, call him Sam. Sam Meduni, who was born in 1978, were both French nationals, and they would follow each other to London in the early 2000s. Sabrina would be the mom of the two boys that Sophie would be taking care of. It's important to know that Sam is not the dad of either of these boys. We will. Trust me, I'll tell you the whole story. So, Sabrina was the oldest of four kids. She was being brought up in Algeria in the midst of the civil war, so her parents decided to flee to France. And this is where she would find peace when it comes to her upbringing with her siblings. We don't have much from her childhood, and this is very much from, like, the tabloids and the gossip uh, from that time, but her classmates described her as an attention seeker. It was said she had, like, some sort of nasty back injury and started becoming addicted to painkillers when she was still young. And this next bit is also very much from the tabloids, but her ex-boyfriend and the father of her first child also doesn't have very nice things to say about her. Her ex-boyfriend, called Anthony Francois, describes her as a lunatic who would lie, manipulate, and target the weak. He said she would lie, her behavior was strange, she was aggressive, sometimes she was violent, and pulled the hair of girls on the street just because of a look. She took advantage of persons who were weaker than her. She had a dual face, a dual personality. She was manipulative, she could charm and tell lies. Sabrina definitely did love the attention, and she had high hopes for her future. To make a living, though, at this point as a teenager, she was selling craps at, like, a stand, like a sweet stand, right? And this is where she would draw attention of a much older man, where, well, five years older than her. 2001, big trade. 18-year-old Sabrina is working at a sweet stall at a fun fair in France, living her life that she probably hated, because she thought she was always super special and deserved the best for herself, right? A 23-year-old man approaches her. This man would be Sam, and from the get-go, she treated him as a friend. I put this, and it's so just mean, but Sam was easily led. He was under this woman's spell from the get-go, which was perfect for her, because, again, she wanted a career that she couldn't afford herself. So, they both appeared keen to keep this relationship ambiguous, even though it was said that they would have the Islamic marriage certificate to prove that they were actually married. So, the two of them were a couple, by all accounts, they would have the marriage certificate for them, but in every single setting, Sabrina would introduce her as, like, a friend or a cousin, which is (laughs) so fucked up. It's just so fucked up. Like, imagine you're sleeping together and, like, oh, that's my cousin. Like, could not be me. Like, I'm sorry, but... The sources would say that she would cheat on him, and this is why, obviously, she was introducing him as a friend or a cousin. Disgusting. Like, mm, the implications of it. And it's just, like, embodying that thing of, like, if you don't want me, your friends would, because she would sleep with his friends as well. She did not care. She would just, like, sleep with anybody while still kind of keeping him there, mostly, like, as a financial source. And it was said that Sabrina had more than one failed suicide attempt, which is possibly also another reason why Sam stayed. Kind of, like, to provide some stability and security amid her mental distress. So, for both reasons, for, like, her mental health issues and also the financial instability, Sam was always there and would stay there until the very, very end, despite of, like, how she was treating him. Sabrina was also obsessed with celebrities. And as somebody who was thinking this highly of herself, she wanted to be internationally recognized. Here I put for what? You might wonder, uh, for being a fashion designer, okay, everybody says, like, she really had high hopes and dreams, and that is truly where this is left off, because there is nothing, there's not a single website, there's not, like, a piece of clothing that she had designed that I could find. This is truly the allul, and it's, like, this is hopes and dreams. This is, if I were, like, oh, yeah, no, I see myself, like, being in a Greta Gerwig movie because I want to pursue a career in acting while not having, like, a day, a day of acting. Not, like, not going to drama school, not moving my finger to become an actress. No, 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 I know I will be working with famous producers one day. There's nothing to show for it. Fueled by this desire, however, in 2009, she moves to London. Until that idea of designing clothes got off the ground, she had turned her hand to pyramid selling, For a telecommunications company, there's nothing more than this line, what telecommunications company, what pyramid scheme she's involved in, but she's somehow making some money. Again, like having some side hustle. And when she moved to London, actually, even before this pyramid scheme job, she herself worked as a nanny, which is just so creepy. And Sam followed her. Sam follows her there. Something that nobody mentions in this story is, like, how here one child that she had with her ex fits into the story, and then later how the two kids fit into the story. And it just pisses me off, because, like, these kids must have had such an unstable childhood from the get-go. Like, here she already has a child. She's now moving to London with Sam, And Sam is obviously, like, again, trying to, like, work on financially supporting his wife, who is, like, sleeping around and cheating on him every chance that she gets. So, to do that, Sam gets a degree in economics and takes a job in a French bank, Société Générale. Everything seemed to have reached a standstill in this couple's life. Or so it seemed, because a man enters the scene. A man named Mark Walton. If you watched X Factor, you might remember the Irish music manager, Louis Walsh. He was the person who formed the band Boyzone in 1993. And he kind of wanted to create, like, the Irish version of the band Take That. Among the original members of the band was a guy named Mark Walton. He was only there for a short period of time, and eventually would be either ousted by his bandmates. Some articles claim that, like, he left on his own accord. Despite him leaving the band, Boyson would go to achieve significant success in the UK. Like, I checked their Spotify, they still have over 200 I checked their Spotify, they still have over 2 million monthly listeners, just there, like, literally just on Spotify. During the timeline that the story of this day unfolds, with Sophie being in London, Mark Walton lived in LA, and he was actively involved in music industry. So, he started off in the UK and then went into music management. He worked with the bands like Fifth Avenue, Bewitched the names like Enrique Iglesias and J. Lo, and also found fame being the judge on Vietnam's pop idol. Now, according to Mark Walton, him and Sabrina would cross paths and be romantically involved between 2011 and 2013. And after this is when he would move to the U.S., We know how Sabrina loved to flirt, right? She loved to have flings on the side and introduce Sam as her cousin. (laughs) So, she meets Mark in 2011. This is the story that is sensationalized everywhere. It appears like she met him at a branch of Netwest here, like in London, in Notting Hill area. And it kind of sounds like, I don't know, she was checking him out at the bank. And then, like, he was checking her out. And he was the one to ask a bank clerk or, like, somebody at a bank, like, oh my god, do you know who she is? And it was, like, a meet-cute at a bank, which I cannot, my brain cannot wrap itself around at something like this happening at a bank, but apparently it did. Mark would say that this would be the start of the most turbulent relationship he has ever had. However, the two of them met up, they start dating, and Sabrina moves out of the flat that she shared with Sam. Again, I don't know what her first child is doing at this very moment in time. I don't know where he is. Nobody seems to think to include the dynamic of the kids being actually present in the story. Here, only one child at this moment in time, right? Mark starts supporting Sabrina financially. Moves in with her in a flat in West London in early 2012. And he said he was in love, that she was his life then. And once they move in together, like, he's really trying to make his, to make her fashion designer dream come true. As he would later, tell the public. She would go from softly spoken French accent, then she would flip, get very angry, very loud, and just not care where we were. Describing kind of like the actual dynamic once he... Saw it for what it was once they moved in together. Which brings us to the, objectively, the funniest line from Daily Mail, the funniest line a Daily Mail journalist had ever written, and the only funny line in this script. So, like, obviously, he would be fully financially supporting it. This girl did not have a penny to her name, okay? He was buying her clothes. So they would go to Oxford Street, of course, to shop for that. And when he refused to buy her whatever she wanted on that day... In the middle of the street, she would say, Mr. Boyzone has got no money. Which, I don't know why, that just made me burst in laughter. Like, who are you to say that? You would genuinely be homeless if it wasn't for this man. And for, yes, Sam later as well. I just... The cheek. The the audacity. The pure audacity. Mark, just like with Sam, took pity on her to some degree. Because, just like with Sam... Here she started lying, right? But here she was saying, like, she was abused before, and now she, like, wants, you know, this Rex Riches story. She wants to make the life for herself, and he kind of sympathized with her. He was like, okay, cool, no, like, I understand, you know, like, I technically was also discovered, like, then, boys, like, You know, it's something that you can actually relate to. We know that at least for some period of this two-year-long relationship between Mark and Sabrina, Sabrina's child from her boyfriend, like the French boyfriend, right, lived with them. We know this because, and this is crazy for like a two-year period, Sabrina changed between like four nannies and why she changed them so quickly is because she would accuse them of variety of things like there would be a range but one reason that would never change is that every single nanny she accused of like trying to steal her man trying to steal mark other reasons were like petty theft and stealing her clothes and jewelry and just wanting to be her I'm like girl trust me nobody nobody ever nobody ever saw you as a successful one. I'm going to play this video of Mark speaking of this relationship. What I found interesting, right, is something that he says, because obviously this was in the aftermath of events of the day, but he kind of says, like, he feels, knowing Sabrina, that her and Sam would have used anything as a motive here. Like, not just the fixation on him that would stem from this relationship, any other fixation Sabrina might have had could have been used as an excuse. Richard, um, I met her in
1: Notting Hill in 2011 at that West Bank. It was like a normal relationship at the beginning, you know, we, we were both in love. I mean, I did see, obviously, mood swings that used to give me a bit of a scare, but nothing to the level what what I've heard recently over the last six months since this trial so, started.
2: So you didn't think at any point to yourself before you split up after that, those two years, this woman's a psychopath. You never thought that.
1: Um, I did. I had. I mean, I, I think when it when, when it comes to someone being a psychopath, there was elements that I felt that she had. She would turn very friendly and soft spoken to someone very angry. I was genuinely shocked with what what I've been reading and what I heard at the old baby when I, when I went over.
3: Yeah, so Sabrina Kuda and her husband, they created this world where they believed that you were having an affair with their nanny, Sophie, and that you had sent people to spy on them. It was a, a really extraordinary story that they seemed to be thinking was going on. What was the reality of this situation?
1: Well, the reality was I'd never, ever met Sophie. It was never a text message, not anything through social media. The first thing I did when the police contacted me was set my passport over, all my social media passwords, gave them all my phones. Everything that I had, I opened my whole world mm. to the police because I knew it, it never happened. Um, and I was glad the police did an amazing investigation, which was able to show I wasn't even in the country at the suggested dates that I was meant to have been there. Right. But I always had been accused of flying in, over the house in a helicopter with my friends, which yeah. it's just crazy, you know? I mean, to put it in the vernacular, they were completely insane.
2: I mean, what they were doing, Correct. They, were, they, they were torturing this poor girl. They were waterboarding her they were starving her, they got her completely in their grip, and the excuse they used to commit these horrible, sadistic acts, which eventually killed her, on this young, lovely girl, was that she, as Charlotte says, was having a secret relationship with you, you'd never met her, you'd never heard of her, and that she was spying on them for you. And they persuaded themselves, in their own crazy, crazy world, that this was true, and therefore they were justified in doing what they were doing to kind of catch her out. Now you've said in, in in one interview with with the print media the first television interview you said that actually you carry this with you this is a horrible burden for you because you know as charlotte said at the opening of this interview you've been sucked into a nightmare and it was in your name that these grotesque and in the end murderous assaults were being committed
1: yeah whenever whenever I, i've said to friends and family like you know i had to spend the rest of my life and as you mentioned i had said it in the newspaper as well that there's a certain responsibility you feel when your name was the name why someone got tortured and put you something so horrific that you could never imagine but obviously people who know me and love me say listen you can't blame yourself this was two psychopaths that went and done something it could have been something else that they looked for a reason to do this but but unfortunately for me it was my name that got brought into this but the hardest thing for me going to bed at night was knowing that that girl was telling the truth every time that she was answering those questions and them interrogations she never met me
0: we don't know when they would split exactly. Some sources say like mid to late twenty twelve, some say like early twenty thirteen. But the children split and Mark moves to LA. But he still continued to support her financially. So Sabrina moves back with Sam, which is just it's something. It's something that she could just like ring this man up and move back in with him. I don't know. I don't know what the two of them had over each other, except from, like, probably, yeah, like, chemistry. You know what I mean? Like, was there anything else that one had over the other for, like, Sam to be this dependent on this woman? Anyways, she moves in and she's still very much obsessed with her ex, with Mark. And Sam would know about this obsession. Let's speak about multiple reasons why Sam would know about her obsession with Mark. First one being, well, she just lived with another man for two years, so, like, yeah, that probably still kind of stings. Another one, because Sabrina was pregnant. Sabrina was pregnant with what the court documents say, so I just have to say, to save my ass, what was believed to be Mark's baby. So, this would be her second child. So, to remind you, the first boy was from Anthony Francois, like, the French guy. And then, this one, by all accounts, would be Mark Walton's kid. They're only given initials in the court documents, and we know that G was born in 2013. And when he was five months old, Sabrina would rent a flat in Wimbledon Park Road, London. And the kids would start attending local schools, and then, obviously, like, sometimes Sam would be... Out for work. Sometimes, you know, like, he would spend time with the kids, which would eventually lead Sabrina to, yes, need another nanny. And this is how Sophie gets introduced into the story. But before we get there, other reasons. Other reasons that Sam was possibly holding a grudge against Mark, right? Mark is still financially supporting Sabrina. And the reason here is because he's asking her to do paternity tests to prove, like, is this my child? And she is, (laughs) cunningly so, holding this over him in order to milk him for more money. Between September 2013 and February of 2014, Mark would send Sabrina almost 13,000 pounds for her rent at the southwest London property, where Sophie would eventually end up being killed. In March of 2014, Mark still continued to stay in contact with Sabrina, and this was said to be done via email, kind of covertly. We don't know if Sam knew about this. He would apologize if he was to send her money late, and there was like an email where he said, I will love you to the day I die. But then, at some point, Sabrina just isn't cooperating. She isn't sending him proof that she had ever done a paternity test, that this child is actually his. And he will stop sending her the money. Mark stops financially supporting Sabrina. The last reason why Sam could have seen his wife is obsessed with her ex is because Sabrina would make wild accusations about Mark. And will continue to do so while this man is clearly in LA, clearly has moved on. According to the Times, these accusations started when Mark and Sabrina were still together. So, in July of 2012, Sabrina started making claims to the police about Mark. She reported that he was sleeping with male prostitutes. She put hidden cameras in his flat to catch him out, and then he eventually, like, found these cameras. After the split, however, this has escalated, like, beyond any proportion. She would still continue to report Mark to the police. Now, this would be as once she returned to Sam. She accused Mark of sexually abusing her cat. Sabrina had never had a cat. And this is something that I had checked out, and it is in court documents, because, again, I thought, like, this was wild. Like, this is, like, a tabloid thing. Nope. Nope she will be questioned about this in court like it's on like BBC and Guardian like where she's cross examined we'll go about that she definitely yes accused this man of like abusing animals She would say that he hired helicopters to spy on her, that he was the one who was obsessed with her. She alleged he hacked into her phones and email address, and that he or somebody who is acting on his behalf, somebody that he has hired, assaulted her to steal an iPad. She also claimed that he used black magic to control her, and there was nothing that she could do about it. Then, as like one final straw... Well, truly, Sophie's murder would be one final act where she's going to display this obsession, but where probably for some time Mark would she had stopped is after she created a fake Facebook profile to falsely claim that Mark was a pedophile. She was, at this point, cautioned by the police to stay away from him. Now, as I mentioned, Mark is in the U.S., He has moved away from the UK, while Sabrina would report him to the police over 30 times. We just went through all of this for two reasons. For you to pin it in the back of your head, because the police here and others could have done something, but especially the police. Because if this is true, if she had actually reported Mark to the police for 30 times, and they've done nothing, nothing to, like, help her to see if she is actually okay? Like, why is she reporting somebody who they don't have any evidence, they don't see any evidence for, for 30 times. But also to see just how much Sam would have known, right? How much he would have, like, been privy to it. He still took her back, still, from this point on, would live with her in that house. There's going to be years since she had moved in with Sam, where, like, he was just a passive participant in this obsession and just, like, berating of Mark Walton. As her husband, like, how do you take that? You just go through your day listening to someone spread shit about your ex. There were some frustrations bubbling up, according to their neighbors. Like, according to the neighbors, they picked up on some red flags, but they just thought, like, oh, this is, like, you know, some shitty neighbors. Like, yeah, we don't want to associate ourselves with them. Reasons for that, the two of them appeared antisocial and just odd. Sabrina always looked glam, right? Like, she had designer clothes, she had her makeup on. She was the the superficial, like, the glib representation of poshness. But then the neighbors would say they were so inconsiderate. Like, you could see right through it. You could see that, like, they would leave garbage in front of their yard for a couple of days. They would be the ones to, like, block the driveways of the neighbors with their cars, and eventually the landlord would see that they would not be paying rent on time. But despite, though, probably, you know, having a peek into their garden and seeing just how they're not really keeping the garden, like, looking nice, or, like, whenever is something behind closed doors, the neighbor would notice, like, oh, yeah, no, these guys actually don't have it together. At this point in time, nobody other than the landlord actually knew that they were not doing so well financially. And the reason for that is, well, the handouts from Mark have dried up, and Sabrina would rack up £20,000 in unpaid rent on their two-bedroom garden flat. Sabrina kept taking every penny that Sam would bring to the house. And because she's a diva, she thought managing the two boys that she would have at this time was too much for her. And this is why she looked into hiring a nanny. Which brings us to Sophie having a test run for two weeks in 2015, and then finally being hired to work full-time for the family in January 2016. This would be the dynamic that Sophie would enter. A very unstable household, where for the past four years, Sabrina was still obsessed with her ex. And soon, she will fully start leaning into her delusions. Sophie, as I mentioned, would be staying in the room, like, sleeping on a bunk bed, where the two children would stay, because it was a two-bedroom flat, so one was occupied by Sabrina and Sam, the other one by the kids and Sophie. At first, her experience seemed to be a positive one. She would befriend the nannies in the area, she adored the kids, and really, like, cherished that experience. She would still be making calls to her mom at this point. And on these phone calls, it was said, like, you know, from the tone of voice, her mom would like, okay, she's pleased, she's happy. She would say that she actually got along with Sabrina. Like, Sabrina would kind of do her hair, do her makeup, they would be chit-chatting at the kitchen, like, over cups of tea. And, I don't know, it just seemed like a very friendly relationship to start off. But then, this initial phase would not last. It's difficult to tell exactly when things started to deteriorate, but roughly from what I have read from the course documents, we are talking about February or March of 2017. During the last six months of Sophie's life, she would, on the phones to her mom, say like she was bored, the children were difficult to manage, and she kind of wished to return home. There would be actually notes in Sophie's room, indicating that she was helpless. Like, she wanted to return home, and she just was stuck. She didn't know how. She never told the parents the truth about how she was actually treated, and it seemed like she was completely under the spell of these two people, completely, like, overborne by the abuse. Finally, Sophie would actually contact her mom, and this was said to be, like, prior to her death, so we're talking July, August. 2017, and would just tell her like she wants to return home. And her mom offered to buy her the ticket, and it was said that she did. But that ticket was never found, and nor was Sophie's passport in that house. She would never make that journey. From March 2017 onwards, the state of affairs in that household would start spiraling out of control. Remember how we spoke about the contracts for all pairs and what they entail? her boss would start to ask her to do more chores. Sabrina, that is, of course. So, suddenly, from just uh, looking after their kids, Sophie was doing everything around the house. She would be working, like, 70 to 80 hours every week, making dinner, cleaning the whole house, all while Sabrina is on a rampage, ranting about her ex-boyfriend. And all while doing this for about 50 pounds a week. Sam, at this point, is also made redundant. And this, in my opinion, is a trigger. Like, one of the triggers towards delusions and towards the two of them being completely broke. Like, completely financially unstable at this point. So, Sam is made redundant uh, by the bank. And then, those payments of about 50 quid to Sophie would also completely stop. So to make ends meet, these two try to set up their own crap place, but that never worked because these two do not know anything about business. Like she doesn't have anything to show for for her fashion designer bullshit. Like why are you setting up business with her? Anyways, Sabrina would go to her pattern of accusations. She would start screaming, blaming everything on the nanny because nothing was working in her life and accusing nanny of stealing jewelry from her. Remember, with Mark Walton, this is how everything starts, from, like, small accusations, and then it will go on to the bigger ones. This is when, one by one aspect of her life, Sabrina is going to start taking complete control over Sophie, starting off with restricting her food intake. Sophie is working now, like, 80 hours a week, working around the clock for this family that is not paying her anymore. And, yes, she has roof above her head. However, she can't sit at the table and eat with them. And she's just being completely starved by these two. In April of 2017, Catherine, um, Sophie's mom, noticed, like, that her daughter seemed to be very fed up. At this point, it was said they still would speak on the phone. And then later, that was switched to Facebook, because Sophie couldn't really afford anything. She couldn't afford to pay as they go. Like, she couldn't afford to pay for the calls to make them to France. Her mom, here, was said to buy her a ticket, but when the home was searched, the investigators did not find the ticket, did not find the passport. And most probably, Sabrina or Sam found out about this, found out about her exit strategy and the escape, and wanted to make sure that she never leaves. Beyond restricting her money, and food, Sabrina would confiscate Sophie's passport, wallet, and pay. And we spoke about how neighbors noticed these two were odd. There's so many people that could have done something here, and I bet they beat themselves up, like, every day over not doing anything. But it just has to be said. Because there were people that visited this house in 2016, and already saw some red flags. And 2016 was, like, when this was still a decent experience for Sophie. There'll be this family friend, Stephen, that would later testify in court, that said that, like, he visited the house and he witnessed Sabrina scream at Sophie in French on more than one occasion. He described Sabrina as abusive and aggressive, said that this was horrible and that Sophie looked afraid. He also said that Sophie already then, in 2016, looked scared and hungry, and that she was wearing a jumper, that completely covered her arms and neck, even though it was, like, the height of summer. That she seemed very uncomfortable, like she was in some kind of trance or something, that this didn't look right. And Sabrina was, like, accusing her of being too lazy, not doing enough cooking, and kind of, like, blaming everything on Sophie, like, even the fact that, like, she looked undernourished. There was another neighbor that gave us the insight from August of 2017. So this would be just around a month before Sophie was killed. And they mentioned beatings and also, like, the cover-up, like, further, like, that, yes, even though it was August, yes, summers in the UK aren't, you know, at their peak height, like, it's not, like, you're anywhere in, I don't know, Africa or, like, Mediterranean and stuff. But still, there is absolutely no need, unless something shady is happening, for you to be in just full sleeves, unless you're hiding something. You're hiding being bruised by your own employee. So, this neighbor said that she saw Sophie on the floor, that she stepped between Sophie and Sabrina to hold Sabrina back from attacking Sophie. This neighbor actually said that she tried to, like, even take Sophie to her house and, like, speak with her, separate from Sabrina. And that she asked her, like, you want to go back to France? Like, let me help you. But, but Sabrina figured out that she's at the neighbor's house, and she followed. And she started screaming at this woman. Sabrina stormed into her house, pushed the door open, shouted at Sophie in French, and told her to get her stuff and get out of this house. And this neighbor says she never called the police in order to try to make sure that Sophie goes home. Like, maybe, eventually, Sabrina would loosen the grip and let her actually leave. This would be around the time when her mom would be alarmed, too, as she remembered Sophie crying and sounding disoriented during phone calls. And at that point, Sophie was being beaten, no longer being paid, and being emotionally abused regularly. Sabrina and Sam were also not letting her eat, and as a result, Sophie would be emaciated. One of the final witnesses from this time would be the chippy shop owner. Michael Croner, this chippy shop owner, had actually met Sophie through the couple, who had approached him to rent space for a French pancake stall. Now, this makes me think that they have very much influenced who Sophie spoke to in the time that she was at their flat. And that also, like, they always had some power because of just, like, what they were saying. I'll give you the example now with the GP shop owner, right? But, like, they always kind of had something where people knew, like, if I do something, if I report this to the police, they're going to come with some wild-ass accusations against me. So, what Michael had said here, he told the court he took pity over Sophie. He would actually give her free food and drink when he saw her, because she just always looked starved. He said at the beginning that Sophie was very shy, and she wouldn't confide in him, but later like she just broke down crying and he asked her what happened and she said that the butter fell off the fridge and Sabrina beat her because of that. So he was familiar with that abuse. However, then, like, he starts, like, obviously, just, like, so many people offering Sophie help to find a new job, a new place to live, and, like, give her some money for the ticket home. But, but, Sabrina somehow found out about this conversation. And then she went to speak with him the same way she did with a neighbor. And he said, Michael, what do you think you're doing? She's a minor, and it's not right. She called Sophie a bitch, telling the chippy shop owner she wants to get sympathy from everyone. She's got a man here, a man there, a man all over. Something to point out here is the accusation, right? Like, as I mentioned, it seemed like, because of how unhinged Sabrina was, that people did fear that she might actually, right, like, accuse them of, I don't know, having sex with minors, possibly. Because even though, yes, Sophie wasn't a minor, it seemed like Sabrina was very prone to lying. So, possibly, with her history, this doesn't seem as far-fetched as it would, like, if I'm just to, like, invent a story about anybody else. And it seemed like, maybe, that is the reason why this man didn't ring the police. Many people criticize everyone here, even, like, the parents. Please don't criticize the parents in the comments, you know, I will always block those. But then the neighbors for somehow not getting Sophie out of that situation. But if these are the circumstances, and Sabrina is accusing the man of accosting a minor, or if they were to offer her a place to stay, Sophie still doesn't have her passport. And it would lead her to losing her job, and her only source of income. Like, losing the only thing that she actually likes doing, which is taking care of the kids. So, what would you have done in that case? As a neighbor, as somebody seeing a person who is struggling. And if your answer is call the authorities, I got you covered. Because we are about to talk about multiple agencies that could have done something, but they didn't. Because you remember the 30 times that Sabrina would ring the police about Mark Walton. Yeah, things like that. During 2017, Sabrina, yet again, was on the roll. She started making public allegations against Mark Walton. This is five years, or like at least four something, after they had broken up. This girl is still renting and publicly accusing her ex. I think it has to be emphasized, because this is like, it's a wackadoodle time. It's crazy, crazy stuff that's going on. She complained to social services that Mark sexually abused her sons and that he was also violently behaving towards her. Mark, as a reminder, is in LA at this point. She said that Mark was a pedophile and used a false Facebook account to post wild um, comments. Because of this, she would be arrested, as we know, And this didn't stop her, though. Now, in August of 2017, she contacts the police and makes another complaint. This time, the complaint would be that Sophie had taken one of her sons to meet Mark Walton in May of 2017. She said that Mark told this son that he was his real father and that he would shoot the son's family, meaning Sabrina and Sam, with a gun. The police didn't act upon this complaint. They just didn't believe there was any foundation, any reality yet again, because the man is in the US, right? And Mark Walton's evidence was that he would never meet Sophie. Like, the two of them never, ever crossed paths in their life. This would be just about a month before Sophie was killed. So, three points to bear in mind here. Mark and Sophie never met. It's important to know that for the remainder of this video. The police is clearly noticing some escalating behavior. Like, these complaints are happening in 2017, after, like, 30 complaints that happened along, like, throughout the years. While Mark is in LA, and Sabrina and Sophie are in London, and they're doing nothing. While the allegations are reaching social services, and the allegations are about her children. Like, somebody takes something seriously. Another thing that isn't in this part of the court's document, but the court would be told that in May of 2017, Sabrina, just as everything right started escalating, was diagnosed with depression and BPD, borderline personality disorder. Due to the inaction of everyone, including the authorities, from August the 8th until September the 20th, 2017, we can only assume what Sophie had gone through, based on the recordings that the police will find. No one will see Sophie leave the house between these dates. And in the six weeks from August the 8th, 2017, until her death, there will be 18 recordings made on the mobile phone that belonged to Sabrina. What Sabrina wanted was a confession. And she will submit Sophie to violence, threat of imprisonment, and rape in order to get that confession. You might wonder confessions of what? that Mark had been doing something to her kids and her family, with the help of Sophie's, who was a spy of his this whole time. As for the location or where these beatings and this torture is going to take place, we don't know where some of the recordings would be made, but a lot of them were said to have been made while Sophie would be in a bath, where Sabrina and Sam would at times waterboard her, submerge her head, underwater when they wouldn't get the answers that they wanted the recordings would be played to the jury or at least like some parts of them because i think it was like eight hours of these recordings and it was the prosecution's case that while sabrina was the driving force behind the abuse that sam played a significant role heads up here we are coming to the most harrowing part like you will have the chills and take this in portions. These are harrowing. There are no recordings available to the public, only transcripts of some of them. So, I'm going to read you some parts of the transcripts, some from, like, the very first ones, when the torture had become, these interrogations had become, and then the recording, like, a few days in, and then some of the last one, for you to see the escalation in behavior. I will give you some comments on my thoughts, but as always, like, if I miss out on anything, you let me know in the comment section. The first recording we have is from September the 8th at 5.53 p.m. Sam says, like, wait, we are going to start again, clearly. Clearly acknowledging that he knows that this is being recorded. So, everything you told Sabrina, why did you tell her that? Sabrina. Sabrina. She was crying earlier on. She was crying and said to me, I did something and I can't get myself to tell it to you. I'm ashamed of myself. You, addressing Sophie, did take him there. I have evidence as well, okay? Because Sam, yes or no? Sophie, no, I don't remember. Sam, what? Sophie, I have no recollection of going to someone else's place. Weird. Sounding scared. Sam, so why did you say that to Sabrina? I'm here. She can't do anything to you. I'm here. You hear a cracking noise, and Sabrina says, You're making fun of me, are you? You can see that Sam is an active participant, like, saying, like, Oh, she can't do anything to you because I'm here. Kind of playing, like, a good cop, bad cop, like, situation, where he is the good person, like, trying to do everything to save Sophie. And they start to set a false narrative, that Sophie is safe as long as she talks. I didn't, like, genuinely, every single part of these recordings strikes me as, like, a torture handbook. Like, one-on-one on on how to try to extract information from somebody. Like, sometimes I just don't believe that these two have done this for the first time. Like, there's just genuinely, like, I'm like, how did we get from zero? Like, zero crimes committed before to this. Because this is messed up for, like, you trying to interrogate somebody for the very first time. And also, like, in um, the transcripts, there is going to be a lot of noises that people will then later say, like, well, this is when they beat her and use different things to try to extract information from Sophie. This audio continues with another technique, gaslighting Sophie into thinking that she already lied and making her think the only way is to confess. Sabrina says, what? You're lying because of my mother's life. There's noise and some furniture being pushed away. I'm not going to leave you alone. I will not touch you. But I will not leave you alone until you tell me the truth. Is this clear? Do you understand? You will not go back to France until you told me the truth. I'm going to spoil your life as you have spoiled mine. Okay? You've understood that. Have you understood that? Have you understood that? You understood... I must go home because it's my sister's birthday. That is to say that today is your mother's, your sister's birthday. How much you lie, how much you lie, because you said you did not have any sister. Sophie says I have a half-sister, to which Sabrina said, okay, sister, half-sister, but not your sister, okay, okay. Then we witness a complete disconnect, where both Sam and Sabrina are just interrogating her, which for Sophie must have been so scary and confusing. Like, I'm trying to read it in a way that is disorienting, because I feel like this is how Sophie had felt. Like, these two can really snap out of reality, in order to try to confuse her and get her to confess to whatever they wanted her to confess to. Sabrina says, scared of what? I had been too nice to her. I used to even tell her things. Sam, she said she was scared of you. Stop it, please. Sabrina, what were you scared of? Okay, sorry, apologies. Sam, scared of what? Sophie, I don't know exactly. Sabrina, scared of what? In any case, whether you speak or you don't speak, at your trial, you will do so. You will be jailed, because as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to joke with you, okay? Because I'm a nice person, okay? I'd really like to help you. You two must help me, okay? If you want me to help you, you need to help me, okay? You want us to help you, then help us, okay? The second recording was from September the 11th at 11.22pm. It is all about asking about Mark's house, saying how every time she comes back, Sabrina can smell sex off of her, because of course she would know what sex with Mark smells like. It's just so, so bizarre. So, Sabrina says, This is mature for you. This is mature. This is mature. Abuse children. Abuse you and other people. I don't think he abused you. You wanted it because he couldn't do that with you. And whenever you come back to the house, I smell sex. Sam, see? She smells sex. We see the same repetitive, disorienting nature of Sabrina talking to herself more than anybody else. And the main difference really... Literally, from this recording onwards, is that Sophie barely says anything. Like, barely would sometimes utter yes or no. Because the point was never for Sophie to speak. It was just for these two to get a yes. To, like, confuse her, disorient her so much, to get her to just confess to what they wanted to hear. Sabrina, I smell it. I smell it. Where's the house? Hurry up. Where is the house? Hurry up. Hurry up. Otherwise, I will make the call. Hurry up. Where is the house? Open your mouth. Where is the house? That's it. It's too late now. Too late. It happened. It happened. Like what we said yesterday. Here is the one thing you can do to change. It's to save the world, okay? Save yourself and save the children. Why? Why do you hesitate? Because you will end up telling me. Why do you hesitate to tell me the truth? Why don't you want to tell me where is the house? Why do you hesitate to tell me? Why do you hesitate? Be ready. It is either 40 years in prison or you leave. It's up to you. You have the choice. Think carefully about 40 years in prison. Very ironic considering she will be the one landing in jail. You tell me where the house is. You tell me where the house is. We're gonna make a plan. One second, we're going to make a plan. And you have to tell me, because if I go to the address, I'm going to send somebody there. And if it turns out to be exactly like the way you sent me to those people, I'm going to kill you. Be quick. Just to catch our breath, because these recordings are so heavy, as I mentioned, Sophie is not saying a word or just is possibly, like, scared, sometimes says no, because of the escalating nature. She's too scared to say anything. And I have to mention, because nobody else does, during these interrogation sessions, so 12 days, 12 days that we are talking about here, the children are still in the same house, just a couple of meters apart from where this bathroom is, from where their nanny is being tortured. Some of these recordings, yes, happen at night. So we are to presume that the kids are asleep. But some of them happen during the day. Nobody has taken these kids in. It's September, so yes, they're probably going to school. But it's bizarre to me how the kids are just in the room while their parents are torturing their nanny. And how, if these two are interacting with their kids, they could just disassociate and go back to being parents for the remainder of the day. I couldn't find details to what happened to these boys. I hope they're okay, because apart from Sophie, I genuinely feel for these kids. Like, they are victims, like, secondary victims in this case. And I can't imagine, like, growing up, uh, learning that this is what your parents have done. That this is how you lost your parents, because they have tortured and murdered your nanny. And just not having them in your life because of this, knowing that this had happened while you were still at the house, while you were sleeping at the home. (sighs) It's just so grisly. By the fourth recording, you can see it does not matter how many times Sophie denies, this; you will continue. She must have felt so hopeless knowing that she is going to die inside of that house. Fourth recording happened on September the 12th at 9.31 p.m. Sabrina. If you promise to tell me the truth and I later find it's a lie, I will not protect you. No more lies. I will not protect you. I swear on my life, Sophie. I will not allow any more lies. Sam. So, he asked you when you will be coming back. That's the way he approached you. He doesn't know you, but sent a message from Facebook asking you when you will be coming back. It doesn't make any sense. Sabrina. So, he knew you. Sophie. No. Sabrina. Yes, he knew you because he asked you when you will be coming back. He knew you. Please say the truth and nothing apart from the truth. Sam, you better know that he will not let you go back. And until we know the whole, whole, whole truth and nothing but the truth, it's up to you. Sabrina, she doesn't believe you can. Sam, you either make a jump and a real jump or tell us the whole truth or you, do you think you're going to give us information like that and wrong information? You have to be careful about what you say. Spit all you have to say today. The last audio that we have was recorded on September the 18th at 4.47 p.m. At this point, these two can't back down. They have set up the scene where Sophie knows is seen as a liar, whatever she says, and believes her only way out is to go along. For context, as you will need this information to understand the transcript and also to understand just how far these two have gone in inventing a whole story about Mark and Sophie. They have thought of this story where some those MJ's, like, cough drops, right, are missing from the household. And because Sabrina associates cough drops with drugs, she believes Sophie has been drugging the whole family, under, obviously, Mark's instructions, right? The test that they would refer to would be drug tests that they would make Sophie do. And Sabrina would tell Sophie that these drug tests would come out positive, even though they never did. Sophie was never taking any drugs. To have a break from my voice, I'm going to play the last transcript read from a video another YouTuber that I watched cover this case.
4: Starts off with Sabrina saying, where is it? Yeah, it's mine. Where did he give it to you? Yeah? How many of this did he give to you? How many of these lodgings of this medicine did he give to you? How many did he give to you? Yeah, but once? How many? What? How many? Sam then says, she must talk. I want to hear her. Sabrina says, what? Come on, what? How many? Come on and say it. There's a deep sigh. And then Sabrina then says, come on. You were talking, Sophie. Let's finish. Let's answer exactly what I have. The whole part. Sam then says, please. Sabrina says, how many did he give you? Yeah. How many lozenges did he give you to put in our glass with tap water? Free? You want to free yourself? Yeah. You want to free yourself. So do free yourself. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sophie. How many did he give you? Where did you put them? In tea? In water? Sophie says, yes. Sabrina says, Okay, how many? Sophie says something, but it's very faint and it's hardly audible. To this, Sabrina says, Okay, but how many did he give you? Sam says, Each time he came, you put one in? Sabrina says, Before coming. Sam corrects himself and says, Well, before. Sabrina says, Before coming. He used to ask her to do this. Go on. How many? How many did he give you? Because inaudible assuming she said like the amount of cough drops that were missing sam then says something else and where are the others she must have the others sabrina says and where are the others sam says the other pills sophie then says something again but her response is inaudible and very quiet and weak sam then says no sophie sabrina says the other your test became it's positive. Sam says, yeah. For context, the tests that they're talking about, um, Sam and Sabrina would frequently give Sophie drug tests to see if she was being drugged by Mark. Obviously, all of these tests came up negative, but Sabrina would tell Sophie that they came up positive. Sabrina then says, quote, on checking them, they said that heroin, it stays maximum five days in the blood. We agree. We agree on that. Yeah. Okay. Five days in the blood. In your case, it is now 11, 12 days that is. She has not gone out how did she get out then how did you take your heroin so that you are calm and with regard to morphine yeah you haven't been out yeah who provided you with that yeah how did you get it it is or are you hiding it somewhere sam then says ah you still have some somewhere can you go and get them sophie says i don't have any of this always seem sam says ah i know i know when you are lying sophie sophie then says no i really don't have them sabrina says stop it sophie we know when you are lying where are they sophie says i don't have them sabrina says but you did take some not that long ago sam says oh come on sabrina says you did take some a few days ago your test showed that five days ago that some days ago you did take some notice how she trips up on her words when saying that sam then replies with where are they come on do us a favor and go fetch them go to the end with the initiative sophie says but i don't have them but i sam cuts her off and says sophie stop it sabrina says no long ago less than five days ago you did take some the paper what what is written on it sam says ah where are they sophie says i don't have them sam says oh but you're lying it's obvious as sophie cuts him off and says no i don't have them sam says it's clear as rock spring water do you know this expression you're lying i do know you now we talked about all of this therefore i know that you're lying where are these pills sophie says i don't know if sam cuts her off and says They came in July. They gave you a stock, okay, for the next time. Sabrina says, she saw them again. She saw them again. This was last Wednesday. Sam says, ah, well, yes, right. You saw him. So where are these pills? Sophie then says, I don't have this. Sam cuts her off and says, ah sabrina says no you have them sam says they are here try to help us help you and sabrina says in any case the police will search everything i am telling you when the coppers search with dogs sam says help us help you sabrina says they are not going to say and then it's inaudible. sam says because it's true it's a dog the police dog arrives and they find it immediately whereas what did they say to them here is what we found sabrina says i would smell it they are trained to do that sam says we won't tell them this is what we found and this is another piece of evidence therefore tell us where they are sabrina says where are they sam says take her by the hand go ahead i think they are in her bedroom or or in the toilet sophie says no i don't have them sabrina says go ahead sam says oh come on and then there's a loud noise of some sort it's assuming it's probably him hitting sophie and then he goes on to say sophie you are now being difficult sabrina says you had taken some. Sam then replies with, you are being difficult. He would give you one for one occasion. He would give you a box. Come on, go ahead, hurry up, hurry up. Sabrina then says, you had taken them. And Sophie just replies with no. And that is where the end of the recording stops. So from that, you can definitely tell that from the first one compared to the second one, in the first one, specifically Sam, he is telling Sabrina to stop. He's saying, you know, stop it, let her speak. I want to hear her speak now that you can see in this last recording, Sam is now not trying to stop Sabrina, but is encouraging Sabrina. He is now so involved in this story.
0: At no point of this recording, this audio file, right? Would you hear Sophie confess to anything? But, by all accounts, this will be the last recording of her voice. There will be a video, which we don't have, but we have a screenshot of Sophie from that video recording. This is the picture of Sophie, where she looks emaciated and defeated. And according to the records, during this video, she's going to confess working with Mark to conspire against this family. The noises of different sounds that you see mentioned in the transcripts are said to be from an electrical cable and beatings that Sophie was subjected to that will result in five fractured ribs, a cracked breastbone, and this is sternum, this is like a very thick bone, like a very hard bone to break, fracture to her jaw, inflicted between 36 hours and three days before her death. Eventually, most probably right after that last interrogation, Sam and Sabrina either punch Sophie while she was in a field bath, where her fall would then result in her death after drowning, or they submerge her head underwater, which is something they would do on so many occasions days earlier. It is believed that Sophie died after that last recording. The couple claimed that they planned to hand these tapes to the police as proof against Mark Walton. Sure, sure, sure they did. The judge and the public had a different idea. Can you think of one? These two were in a very particular financial situation. They were in a very precarious year. They were broke as fuck. So it is more likely that they would have sent these tapes to Mark to force him to give them the money. I just cannot, like, imagine as a mark, like, thinking your ex has moved on. It's been five years. Like, if this is true, like, getting these audio files of them torturing this girl. I mean, like, I feel like, yes, eventually this would have reached the police, even if they weren't caught, but this is just so crazy, because I'm just, like, trying to picture, like, as somebody who has moved on, you get the audio recordings of your ex torturing somebody. You're like, what the fuck? like, scarred for life. I wonder what you think here, at this point. Like, did the mental health issues play a part, or was this purely done for them to try to get money off of her ex? Because at some points, these two seem very lucid. Even, like, from what I have read to you from the transcript, they seem like they planned this. Like, this was premeditated. They have thought of, like, scripts. They have thought of how to do this. They know what they're doing, And as I mentioned, they interacted with their kids for 12 days, so they couldn't have been fully delusional at all times. A lot of people attribute this to folie the madness of two, like delusion or mental illness shared by two people in close association. And this is where, if one of them was to have stopped or separated from the other, the other one might have stopped doing this. But here, there was a close bond between the couple, and neither of them seemed willing to help the victim. Back to our timeline, if you're closely listening to the dates, the last recording would be on September the 18th, and the body had been uncovered by the police once the neighbors called the firefighters on the 20th. So, what were they up to for two days after they had killed their nanny? Well, Of course, some cover-up had to be in place. So, between the 18th and the 20th, they would hide Sophie's body in her own suitcase. And then, while they were thinking what to do with it, how to dispose of it, they hid it with the clothes, the jewelry, like everything else, apart from the passport and the uh, plane ticket that were never found, in the shed. And it is said from, like, the WhatsApp messages, well, rather I have only seen one WhatsApp message that Sabrina sent to, like, a friend of hers, that they started telling people that Sophie did indeed return to France. There will be some reports and some articles that I have found, I don't know what weight to give to them, but these will be the initial accusations by Sabrina against Sam that state that Sabrina was forced... To have sex with Sam right after they had murdered Sophie. That this was something that she didn't want to do, but she did it because Sam forced it, because he was excited about them murdering Sophie. Um, I did not read about that in the court documents, I just have to say that. It is like credible news organizations that have published on that, and I will talk more about it once we get to, like, the trial and the accusations, the two of them turning on each other. But it's just... Like, this story is sickening enough. The two of them will finally decide to burn the body, and then in the meantime, obviously, lie to everybody that their nanny returned to France. This brings us to the 20th of September, when the two of them started making a barbecue, and then did that in a way to mask the smoke and the smell of the bonfire burning alongside it in the garden in their Wimbledon home in southwest London. The gender and the age of the body was not clear at first, because of how badly it was burned. But the home office pathologist would say that on October the 3rd, finally, DNA tests came back. Her, Sophie's cause of death was never actually determined. The three most likely options would have been a blow to the head, strangulation, or drowning. And this is because of how badly the body was burned, and also when the world would finally discover the extent of the injuries. That they were two different sets of fractures when she was still alive. As I mentioned, there would be five left ribs that have been fractured between 36 hours and three days prior to her death. The fracture to the right mandible, so like jaw area, which was caused hours before to her death, possibly immediately before it, but certainly when she was still alive. And there was evidence of bruising to the left arm, back, and chest, also caused in life. So there was degrees of bruising. Some inflicted a couple of days before, and then, obviously, some inflicted right before her death. Her parents would have to come and see her body. From my research, I think it was her dad, that had given interviews later, saying, like, he doesn't want to remember the last image that he has of Sophie's body, so he was probably the one that had to, like, see her, identify her to some degree, which is just... I don't know how you live. After that, nobody, nobody, not a single person, has to go through anything like this. They had to organize a funeral, which, from what I have seen, was attended by over 150 people, held at Saint-Étienne Cathedral in Sens, France, I can't pronounce French words, as you can tell, on June the 6th, 2018. Sophie's father said she was so nurturing. She liked children and animals. She could not stand seeing others suffering. And it breaks my heart to know that she was abused to the end of her life. They would then have to come back to the trial and witness the appeal by these two. It shows the reality of any form of tragedy happening when your child is abroad and living away from you. But no parent should go through this and then be bounced back and forth to see the killers of their child, try to get out of prison. We go to the events of 2018, because here in January, Sam is actually going to provide his first statement. He will try to confess to manslaughter, weirdly, and then he's going to take this one away. But I find it interesting, because he would say Sophie died accidentally while he was trying to extract information from her about Mark. He said that, yes, she was made to sit in a bath full of water as part of this interrogation, that she would be waterboarded while she was questioned. He said that that was repeated on a number of occasions as he continued to press for information using the same torture methods. He would lose his temper and he would be the one punching her to the face. As a result of this punch, her head struck the tiles and she slipped under the water and lost consciousness. He said he is then going to try and revive her. He didn't intend to kill her or cause serious injury. He just lost control. So, this is his first statement. His plea of manslaughter is going to be denied shortly afterwards, like in March that year. And this is when he is going to sign a second defense statement, saying that the first one was completely untrue. That he was just accepting the blame in order to protect Sabrina. He said he was actually asleep this time around. And this is why I mentioned the first statement, because I think it has a lot of truth in it, in terms of just how Sam was the one inflicting violence. And wasn't just, like, a passive observer, right? But no, this time around, he said he was actually asleep. And he woke up and realized, like, what Sabrina had done. And then, obviously, like, had to try to revive her. But when he realized it's too... Late, he then started protecting Sabrina. Meanwhile, recordings would be on Sabrina's phone. She couldn't deny much, and her defense lawyer would say that her delusional disorder, coupled with an emotionally unstable personality disorder, had caused her irrational and completely overwhelming fear that Sophie had been recruited by Mark Walton. He said her behavior towards Sophie was entirely driven by her mental illness in her desperation to get the evidence of Mark Walton's abuse. Both of them would plead guilty to the offense of perverting the course of justice by disposing the body, but none of them pled guilty to murder. And with my absolute favorite sketch of them, whoever sketched this deserves awards, deserves genuinely to hold a speech on stage for about 10 minutes, just purely of how genius this sketch is. We come to the trial that happened in June of 2018. They would appear in Old Bailey, which is this court in London, and they were told they face a minimum term of 30 years in prison. Prosecution is going to focus on the intent, because even though the cause of death was unknown, they will be able to prove that Sophie died as a result of purposeful and sustained violence, and not by accident. They said they were both jointly involved and came up with a plan to try and destroy her body and escape responsibility for this horrendous crime for which they should be found guilty. Mark would testify as a character witness. He told the jury about their relationship, about how just turbulent it was, how flippant Sabrina was, like everything we already spoke about. And he gave them the insight of the split of the harassment of more than 30 times that Sabrina would report Mark to the police, of the whole Facebook saga, and Sabrina accusing him of being a pedophile, and the prosecutor would tell jurors that the couple's unhealthy, myopic, all-consuming, and groundless obsession with Mark would deprive them of reason. The video of the confession was shown to the jury, so the video that we can't find, but we only have the snapshot of Sophie looking starved and just completely defeated. And uh, the prosecutor again said, You will have seen the state of Sophie when she uttered the words that can be heard on that video clip. And whatever may be said about that final confession, it is anything but voluntary. Prosecutors would put jury in Sophie's shoes by playing some of those recordings. They would tell them there were more than eight hours, but would only play some sections. And they also told the jury of Sophie's character that she was shy, she was naive, and she was, at the end of it, unable to defend herself against somebody who was so manipulative and abusive like Sabrina. Sophie was not only young, but also, we suggest, naive and particularly vulnerable, and this made her an easy target for abuse and exploitation. This is a quote from the court document. Through their relentless and brutal interrogations, employing methods such as physical abuse and submerging her head in water in the bathtub, they succeeded in wearing down Sophie. Eventually, under the arrest, Sophie was coerced into confirming... Sabrina's distorted allegations, claiming that she was colluding in a plot to facilitate Mark Walton's entry into their residence with the intention of drugging and sexually assaulting them. They employed threats of rape, violence, and imprisonment to compel her confession. Now we're going to go into the defense. So Sabrina obviously had her own team and um, Sam had his own because they turned against each other. Sabrina would blame everything on Sam. Sam would blame everything on Sabrina. Sabrina's defense consisted in three main points. One, and main one, throwing Sam under the bus. Second one, her portraying herself as a victim, which (laughs) I have such a huge fucking problem with. And the third one, obviously, being her mental health. Sabrina would tell the old Bailey that she cried when her partner said that he wanted to have sex following Sophie's death. She said that she was aware of the abuse and of the waterboarding, but she was told to lie. She said that Sam told her to lie to the police when the body was found in their garden. Everything I have done, I did it for him. He wanted to have sex with me. I'm even shocked to talk about it. Then when she was examined by Sam's barrister, um, she said like, when this had happened to her, right? Like Sam forcing her to have sex with her. She said, what are you doing? When he finished, he said he was so stressed. I was shocked. I was not myself. I didn't say don't do that, but I was crying while he was doing that. If this sounds self-centered, like she's thinking of herself as a victim and completely has no consideration for what the two of them have done to Sophie, let me just... um, read you this rage-inducing letter. This letter would come from Sabrina and would be read out to Sophie and her family at the sentencing, okay? Let me just read it out and you can tell me your thoughts by the end of it. Dear Sophie, may peace be with you. First of all, I wish everyone, including Sophie, especially her parents and family who are suffering badly, to know how deeply sorry I am for what happened to Sophie. We shared many good times together as well as pains until things went terribly wrong and it ended up in this horrendous tragedy. I think of you every day and I'm shocked and sad that you are not part of this world anymore. It feels like a horrible dream to me that I wish I could just wake up from. Every day I live with sadness and sorrow. I'm suffering every day thinking of you and what happened to you that dreadful night. I wish I could turn the clock back so that it never happened and you would still be alive with us today. I will now live without hope and I can't ever imagine ever being happy again. I struggle every day and I am very disappointed in myself. Sophie, I wish things could have been different and I hope that you rest in peace with God. With deepest regret, Sabrina Codier. I stopped counting the I's in this letter after 10. I don't know. Maybe an apology letter shouldn't be that about you apologizing because she called this murder a tragedy. So what are you apologizing for? Like, this happened accidentally, according to you. Like, why, why bother write a letter unless it is really about you feeling sorry for not being happy for the rest of your life because you killed somebody. Back to the trial her mental health was brought in the question, to which Sabrina would say that she was not violent. She never, ever made a false accusation against anybody. When asked about a diagnosis from May the 2017 of depression and borderline personality disorder, she said she had not been well. So she would be cross-examined about her mental state in regards to her ex. And this is when the prosecutors kind of pointed to 30-plus police reports, and the whole cat saga, right? So, they said, are you seriously suggesting Mr. Walton sexually abused the cat? We have heard the evidence of Mark Walton, you didn't have a cat, and he did not sexually abuse it. Sabrina said she wasn't crazy, she wasn't losing her mind, she told the court that she was not obsessed, with Mark either, and had been more concerned about her imaginary, I put, she didn't say imaginary, fashion business, than thinking about her music mogul ex-boyfriend when they broke up. Probably the strongest argument that Sabrina's defense team had was Sam's initial statement, where he confessed, right? So, like, not the one where he said, like, he was asleep and it was all Sabrina's fault, rather the one where he said, like, he was punching and torturing the nanny. In their eyes, this shows that Sabrina was only responsible for helping him burn the body and get rid of the evidence, and this was under the duress. We have to speak about Sam's defense, right? Because the main argument here was that second statement is true and that he was asleep and only then disposed of the evidence in order to help Sabrina after he woke up. Sam's whole defense was based off of Sabrina asking him to take the blame once the body was actually discovered. Now, I have to read this to you for you to see how his evidence use the word accepted, acknowledged, agreed, in order to distance himself from the crime. The same way that Sabrina is calling it all a tragedy, like as if it happened accidentally, like as if nobody inflicted this damage, this abuse, onto Sophie. So... In evidence, each accused blamed the other. Sam acknowledged that he was present during the interrogations. He accepted playing a role in the interrogations, but denied using violence himself. He accepted that he had been present while Sabrina assaulted Sophie. He accepted that in the days before her death, probably around September the 13th, Sophie had suffered injuries to her legs, and that Sabrina had assaulted her with a cable or flex. He accepted he knew she was so badly injured she could not stand or walk properly. He accepted that he knew she needed medical assistance, but had not called a doctor or taken her for medical treatment. He also accepted having been present when Sophie was in the bath, having her head held under the water in an effort to extract a confession. He agreed he had not sought medical assistance on that occasion either. He said he knew Sabrina was violent to Sophie and might be violent again. He accepted that he could and should have bought Sophie a ticket to return to France. What he denied was everything, including physical violence. He said he was a moderating influence in the interrogations, as could be seen and heard on the recordings. Apparently, we are all deaf guys. I don't know. It seemed like he was an active participant, but apparently we are all... Deaf and just blind, because we are reading transcripts, right? We, we just can't assess this information for ourselves. He was asleep and had been woken up by frazzled Sabrina. And this is when he discovered a lifeless body. In the bath, he tried CPR. And he didn't call 999, which is the number here for the police, right? Because he didn't want to stop doing CPR. He said his actions after her death, had been, yes, burning the body and lying to the police, and they were all designed to protect Sabrina in an effort to keep the family together. It would be up to the jury to determine the extent of his participation in the events leading up to Sophie's death, whether it was direct involvement or just acting in support of Sabrina. One last comment before we are to speak on verdicts, because this made my blood boil. That line of protecting Sabrina in an effort to keep the family together. At no point did they think of their kids. At absolutely zero points in this, did they think about their kids? Did they think, like, maybe we will get discovered and end up in prison and who is going to take care of our kids? No. Did they think about it when they were in the toilet? Like, what if the kids had to use the toilet during the night? What would they do? What would they do? At no point during 12 days of torturing and mistreating an old pair that was in their care did they think or have any consideration for their children. But now, all of a sudden, there is one when their lives are on the line. Actually, something that just popped into my mind, right? Because I read the court document that was here. I read majority of the articles I could find online. I don't think Sabrina used her kids at all. Them. And those were actually her kids. I think Sam is the only one that mentions the family. And neither of these two boys are his. Like, Sabrina at no point mentions, like, I will miss my children. You know, like, I'm not saying, like, she should have used them for sympathy points. But she is the actual mother of these children. And at no point did she offer a word of support towards them. It's just cold. It's just brutal. Monsters. It's just absolute... Monsters and the jury, just like us, would see right through it. The two of them would be sentenced on June the 26th after six days of jury deliberation. They were found guilty of killing Sophie Lionette. And I looked up why it took the jury six days because when you hear that, you're like, "Mm, this is pretty much like an hour discussion tops, right? Like, why did it take them six days? And it was because of Sam. I'm going to put on the screen for you to read it out, but the short of it is the jury wanted to know more on Sam and the question of intent. They had their decision on Sabrina, like, I don't think that was ever in question. They knew they were gonna find her guilty, right? They just wanted to understand how to make a decision based on Sam's defense and the lack of intervention. Basically, The whole point was on intent. Like, how do we differentiate whether or not he intended to kill her? And that's, like, the main difference between manslaughter and murder. So the judge, like, discussed with the counsel and offered them a response. He said, the first thing is that you are concerned with the defendant's intention at a time when a fatal act or acts of violence were done to Sophie, which caused or contributed to her death. If you are sure that is proved to have happened, so defendant's intention at the time when a fatal act of that kind was done. That is the critical moment. How do you decide what someone's intention was? The answer is by considering all of the circumstances surrounding the deliberate act before, during, and after, and then drawing such conclusions or inferences as you think proper. So, you would consider anything that Sam did himself at the time of a fatal act or anything that was done by Sabrina that he was party to as part of a common criminal purpose, as I have defined that to you. The rest of this letter is the judge saying, look at the evidence and how Sophie was treated by Sam based on what you can, like, what you have been given as the evidence, like, in order to make a decision. In the end, the jury will find him guilty, not of manslaughter, but murder. Both Sabrina and Sam got life in prison with a minimum of 30 years. And sentencing them, the judge said there was no excuse for the horrible cruelty and humiliation they inflicted on Sophie during the interrogations before her death. You were both involved in torturing Sophie in the bath, in the lead-up to her death, in making her think she would drown unless you gave her information, you wanted, which was not in her power to give, because it did not exist. The suffering and the torture you put her through before her death was prolonged and without pity. Addressing Sabrina, he said her motivations were to see Sophie and Mark suffer, with no justifiable reason. Lastly, he said, I do not think you thought for one moment you were acting lawfully. I'm sure you knew the way you interrogated her was unacceptable in the extreme that it was unlawful to assault her, and she was in a dreadful state by the time of her death, and torturing her in a bath was totally and utterly wrong.
3: As the investigating officer in this case, I am satisfied that today, the verdict has brought some justice for Sophie, but of course it will never bring her back. I believe that we are Sophie's voice, telling of the torment, abuse and the torture she suffered, and today she has finally been heard. This has been an extremely harrowing and tragic case, both Sam Madoon and Sabrina Coudier have robbed Sophie Leone, who was only 21, of a promising life, and took her from her family and friends, who will never again get to see a beloved daughter, sister and friend. Sophie was systematically abused, humiliated and tortured, but we will never know the full extent of the horrors Sophie had to endure, as not all the interrogations were recorded. Even in death, the torture, abuse and humiliation continued by placing her partially clothed body into a suitcase with no regard for even a semblance of a burial before taking the callous decision to burn her in an attempt to hide their murderous act. Again, during the trial, the abuse and humiliation of Sophie continued as Sabrina portrayed herself to be the victim and made wild accusations against Sophie and her mother. It was clear that together they made the decision to torture Sophie, and then cowardly blamed each other for her death. They were determined to do whatever it took to get them what they wanted, and neither one took any steps to help Sophie. It was always about them. I cannot imagine what thoughts were going through Sophie's mind whilst being held a prisoner in those 12 days leading up to her death, but from the harrowing images it obtained it showed a scared, broken, tortured and emaciated young girl who probably knew she was shortly facing death. By Kudio Maduni burning Sophie's body to such an extent deprived her family from seeing her to say their goodbyes. No one has the right to take that away from a mother or a father, no one. Again it shows the cruel even nature of Kudio Maduni that they would take any steps to save themselves. There were no boundaries for these two, no humanity, no compassion. I cannot praise Sophie's family enough for their support and dignity maintained throughout the trial. I've personally seen their suffering as they sat listening to the abuse and torture their daughter Sophie endured at the hands of Kudir and Maduni. Listening to her cries, hearing the fear in her voice, knowing she was alone with no one to help her. Watching the videos of Sophie's interrogations, not recognising their own daughter due to how emaciated she had become. These memories will live with them forever,
0: and they are the ones who are really serving as life sentence. So, where is this case now? As you might have guessed, because I believe I mentioned it earlier in the video, that you of them would appeal, of course. Of course, they appeal. like they were convicted in 2018, 2019, they came through with the appeal. I, I love the confidence. You have to love the confidence. And the reason, as you might have guessed, I have already mentioned. It is the intent, right? It is that The judge had advised the jury, it had given kind of the jury basically a green light in a way to convict Sam, right? Like that the judge had shared his opinion that might have led to some bias. The barrister representing Sam in the Court of Appeal argued that the conviction was unsafe because of a note sent to the trial judge by jurors during their deliberation that indicated they were unsure about his intent. He argued that the minimum term was too long, as did Sabrina's barrister. But their appeal bids were rejected. So the first one, because the judge based his explanation of intent on the law and the evidence of ill treatment of a woman leading to her death. The second one, about the length of the sentence, uh, was... Rejected because of the list of the reasons that the judge considered aggravating. Let's go through them one last time, just as a reminder of why no barrister should take this fucking case to appeal and trigger the parents yet again. Sophie was confined for about ten days before her death, her passport and her phone taken away from her. The interrogations were relentless and continuous over the period, with the added degradation of her being filmed and recorded. About a week before her death, there was an assault, using some form of cable, with the knowledge of the other, who did not do anything to protect her or seek medical assistance. A few days before her death, Sophie suffered five broken ribs and a fractured breastbone, and the consequences were obvious and determined due to the autopsy. By the time of her death, she was in a physical and mental state that had just completely deteriorated from how she acted a few months before. And due to that, she was considered to be extremely vulnerable, which is an aggravating reasoning when it comes to appeals. She was tortured on the night before her death by water warning. And this was carried out in the small flat while two children were sleeping. And not only that, but in the two days before the body had been burned, it was concealed in a suitcase, and then set a light in the back garden. And in the view of the judge, the attempt to dispose of the body was a desecration and might well have justified an increase above the 30 year starting period, which I read and I was like, damn, like it's, it's just like actually, if you don't shut the fuck up and stop appealing, I might give you more years. And I have checked, and I think that is an actual possibility. I checked like the sentencing website and People can extend sentences, if they're of certain, like, violent, sexual, terrorism-type nature. But, like, here, the violent one checks out, they might, possibly, if... I am right, I would fucking love if a lawyer is watching this. If a lawyer, like, in the UK is watching this, tell me. Can they actually extend this sentence? Because that would just give me so much joy. If they, like, appeal again and the judge is actually like, this is fucking stupid. Like, you just pissed me off right now, so I'm gonna give you, like, 40 years instead of 30. I'll be like, oh my god. Yes. Victory. Love it. Never, never get out. Because by that point, they'll be, like, in... I mean, even if they were to get out after 30 years, they'd still be in their 60s and stuff. But, like, if they give him, if they give them even more, they're never getting out of prison. And that just, how it should be. It is how it should be. Sophie's dad would give statements after the sentencing, saying how Sam and Sabrina had not only robbed him of his only child, but of his future. Walking his daughter down the aisle, and the joy of becoming a grandfather. They have not only stolen the life of my child so brutally and without remorse. They have also stolen my sleep, my happiness, my peace of mind, my future. I will never have that moment of pride of seeing my baby girl dressed in white, with flowers in her hair, and love and hope listening in her eyes, as she takes my arm to walk down the aisle to a man who would cherish her as much as I. I will never hear my daughter say, Daddy, you are going to be a grandfather. I will never be called granddad. What they did to my child is beyond comprehension and unforgivable. The suffering they caused my young and impressionable daughter, our families and friends, is more than anyone should be forced to live with. They have ruined everything that we held dear. They have murdered my daughter, who was dependent on them. Six years ago, two children lost their parents after they were sentenced for a murder of their nanny. The woman that was supposed to become part of the family, the extension of the parents, suffered in their hands. Due to the lack of intervention over a span of more than a year, two kids found themselves orphaned, and Sophie's parents were left grieving the loss of their daughter. A young woman wishing for nothing more than to fight the injustices of this world landed in the hands of the people, who will face justice way too late. And for some, their time behind bars, even if it extends to the full term of 30 years, does not equate to justice. They will be denied the opportunity to witness their children's journey down the aisle, visit their grandchildren one day, or pursue those career aspirations they held so dear. The range of fulfilling experiences that humans typically enjoy will be inaccessible to them, because they were not humans, after all. And that is the case of Sophie Lyonnais. This is a brutal one. This is such a heartbreaking story to tell, and truly preventable on so many levels. I don't know, like, there must be something when somebody reports harassment like this to the police, if you establish there is not enough evidence... Like, right? Cool. That's that's great in terms of, like, exonerating somebody like Mark Walton. However, however, then, you have to wonder, like, this person is pestering us. Like, there's clearly something wrong with them. There needs to be some link between police and mental health services, where they're like, okay, somebody is reporting without any foundation, another person, their ex here, for X amount of times, you know? There needs to be a cap, like... If I report this person X amount of times, like five times, the police liaises with therapy, with NHS, with mental health services to figure out how to get this person help. So something like this is preventable. Like If social services are called, like again, like were those kids ever questioned? Were those kids will ever taken into consideration? It is so worrying. Like, were they ever visited to see, like, if these kids are okay in this home? Because, again, maybe that way this could have been prevented. There were so many ways and leeways and forms and... uh, For something like this never to happen. And this is what is truly terrifying. Because Sophie did everything right in a way of flagging to other people, like, trying to get the hell out. But in the end, what could she have done? This wasn't on her. This was on the authorities to prevent it from happening, when this woman clearly had a history of this. But let me know what you think about this case, as always. Share, like, and subscribe if you like long-form content like this, and I will be seeing you in... Two weeks' time with another one, with another long-form one. How slow was my voice during this one? I don't I'm very conscious about it now. <laughs> I'm, like, super conscious about things. Oh, I was not the one made for the medication that I'm taking or anything, any medication, and it just affects my system like, I don't know, I would suffer as a drug addict. Okay, this is weird. I would really, really suffer. I would not. This is why it's, it's great. I'm not of an addictive nature. <laughs> Boy, like the way the drugs ruin my system is insane. It's just I'm feeling whatever small doses I'm taking as if like probably to like the and extreme, uh, probably nobody else, like, used to taking any meds would be. And I don't like it. I don't like it, guys. But it's good. It's good. It's going to fix me. Mm-hmm. It's going to fix my stomach and slow me down, apparently. I don't like it. Maya, out. we will be seeing you two weeks time. I don't like it. I don't want to be slow. I want to be fast. I want to be, like, a fast runner. Your you're running was a phase, Maya. Running was with... a